0: Hey listeners, Rewire is a non-profit publication, which means that funding for our work comes from you. So, if you like what you're listening to, please become a donor today and support our reporting, commentary, investigations, and podcasts like Choiceless. Go to rewire.news/december to make a donation. Now, on to the conclusion of Choiceless's two-part season finale. For Rewire Radio, I'm Jen Stanley. And I'm Sophia Resnick. And this is Marching Toward Gilead, a story about the radical group Operation Save America and the world they want us all to live in. If you're just joining us, this is the second part of our special two-part season finale of Choiceless, so please go back and listen to part one. If abortion is criminalized, what is the punishment, do you think? And, and who, who gets punished?
1: Um, I believe that
2: that abortion is murder and that um, whenever someone kills a person or whether they hire a hitman to do it, they are both both the hitman and the person that does it are, are liable
1: for murder.
0: That's Joseph Spurgeon, a local leader of Operation Save America in southern Indiana and Kentucky. You might remember him from the last episode. He's the man who said that Louisville's high crime rate was due to God's anger over the abortion clinic and the city's reputation for being LGBTQ-friendly. So why am I on the phone with Joseph Spurgeon? I didn't call him. He called me. I'll let Joseph explain why. Can you tell the listeners, uh, like, how this phone call came to be today, why, why you reached out to me?
2: Yeah, I was just, uh, I was asking, uh, the Congressman Dan Johnson, we're working with him and a few others to put some legislation through that will criminalize and end abortion in Kentucky. And so he was—he was driving, didn't have very good phone service, and was uh, and uh, sent me a message asking me to call you and and uh, follow up and be able to answer any questions that you have.
0: So, I did call State Representative Dan Johnson to ask him a few questions about a bill he just introduced that would criminalize abortion. The law likely would not pass, and even if it did, its constitutionality would almost certainly be challenged in court immediately. But I still wanted to ask him a few questions. He was in the car when I called, and he said he would be happy to do the interview, but could he give me a call when he gets back to his desk? I assured him that there was no rush, that it was for an ongoing project, and I just wanted to ask him a few questions on the bill. I told him I would send him an email with my contact information, and he said he would set up a time to talk to me. We hang up, and before I could even hit send on that email, I get a call from an unknown number. It's Joseph Spurgeon. I I was just gonna ask, if if a state had the death penalty, do you think that that's an appropriate punishment? I would
2: certainly advocate. Or capital punishment on, for murder. Abortion is what it is. It's murder. We, we have to stop trying to treat it as a health care issue or, or use the language of the pro-abortion side.
0: At this point, I had already met Joseph in Louisville. I've heard what he had to say about Muslims and women and LGBTQ people, and I was very surprised that a state lawmaker would have him field questions from a journalist on his behalf especially regarding this piece of legislation, which is called the Abolition of Abortion in Kentucky Act. Under the bill, those who perform abortions could be charged with fetal homicide. It would be a capital offense, but it wouldn't be eligible for the death penalty. But the person he has called me to talk about the bill does believe in the death penalty for abortion. At this point, I didn't realize how seriously some lawmakers and politicians were taking Operation Save America's message— Sophia and I were still looking into the claims that a former Kentucky state representative ordered 2,000 copies of the Doctrine of the Lesser Magistrate and passed it around through the state legislature. So I wasn't expecting this call. It was a different area code than Dan Johnson, so I didn't think it was him calling me back. So when I pick up the phone, I wasn't recording it. I also hadn't called to talk to Joseph, and I was a little taken aback about it. I said, you know, I'd really rather talk to the state representative. I don't have a deadline coming up, and I have a few questions that I think only he could answer. And Joseph said that's probably not going to happen, but you can ask me whatever you would ask Dan Johnson, and I will be totally transparent. So, with his permission, I started recording, and we had this conversation. For like a ballpark figure, how many politicians would you say you've been working with?
2: Um, yeah, we're working. We're we're working with a few. Uh, there's there's some. Some people that don't want to be named yet, and and others that are more public.
0: This summer, when I was in Kentucky, I had heard Rusty Thomas. He he told us, and I think he told the congregation as well, um, that there was somebody in the in Kentucky's government who had ordered about two thousand copies of the Doctrine of the Lesser Magistrate by Matt Truella. Um, What do you know about that?
2: Yeah. that actually was was very instrumental in bringing Operation Save America to Kentucky when they were considering where to go, and, and someone had mentioned Kentucky. It was just a couple of days later when when that congressman or the called up and um, made that request and ordered those those books. And so that's been very helpful because that that that's the message that we bring. It's part of the message that we bring to Kentucky is that that uh, the lesser magistrates or the lesser government officials, whether they're state officials or city officials, they have the duty to obey God rather than, than man. And they have the duty that whenever, like the Supreme Court or as Congress or anyone makes a, a law that's unconstitutional or, or, or breaks the law of God, they have the duty to disobey it and to uh, instead stand up for what is right. And so we brought that message into Kentucky, and so having – Someone who bought the book and was giving it out to different legislators, you know, it's, it's even the governor has received a copy of the book and has, uh, I think, even quoted from it in a couple speeches.
0: And, um, would you say, so you said this was a U.S. congressman?
2: No, 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 this was a state, a state
0: representative. A state representative. Oh, okay. Um, And, um, why do you think they uh, don't want to go public with this information?
2: They, they. This person likes to. Uh, uh, I, I think they just like to be able to work in the background, and, and they have a lot of different issues that they're working on, and uh, across uh, different boundaries. And they just don't want to see any of those. Those. Uh, uh, Something you know, like when you're working bipartisan with a lot of stuff, you just don't want to see any of those breakdowns. So I imagine that's what what is going on behind the scenes. If so you have an Oklahoma. Uh, a guy running for governor now who's gaining quite a traction named Dan Fisher, who, uh, who is also putting forth uh, I think a bill or uh, an effort to uh, criminalize abortion in Oklahoma and to uh, tell the federal government uh, no on this issue. And so we're seeing that happen in Oklahoma, Texas, Indiana is getting ready to have a bill put forth similar to the one we have here in Kentucky. So, yes, I think it's gaining traction, but we still have a lot of work to do.
0: Now, I I don't mean this in any disrespect to your beliefs or your viewpoint. Uh, However, I I think that you could agree, and and correct me if if I'm wrong, but I think that you could agree that the doctrine of the lesser magistrate, um, regardless of whether you agree with it or not, is a is a radical text. I mean, it's telling people that you know you can ignore the federal government, uh, if need be, to to follow God. Correct.
2: Um, I don't think it's any more radical than the doctrine than the uh, Declaration of Independence. In fact, I mean that's really what our country was founded on.
0: At freedom. this point, I've gotten used to this when talking to members of Operation Save America. I ask a question of national interest, like, do you think women who have abortions should get the death penalty? Or do you think lawmakers loving and quoting a self-published book by someone who has advocated for the justifiable homicide of abortion providers is newsworthy? They sort of answer my questions. And then they either deflect or they preach to me about God's law.
2: So I don't really think it's that extreme. I think it's just being faithful to God and being faithful as, 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 uh, Government should
0: be. Well, I mean, yes, sure. sure I, I understand your point. However, I mean, the Declaration of Independence is, is a hugely radical document. It, it declared in- independence from the British. I mean, it, we fought a war over it. You know, I, I mean, that's it was radical.
2: Yeah, but I mean, I'm, what I'm saying is this is no more radical than that. It's yes, it's radical in our days, the Doctor. Lulz or Magistrate, but it's needed.
0: Sure, but don't you think that constituents have the right to know if their lawmakers are reading this document and passing this document out throughout the state legislature?
1: Oh, certainly.
2: We want the constituents start to read it. So yeah, this is not a, a, a this is not like a, a clandestine thing that we're doing because, uh, like I said, uh, Dan Johnson has, has gone forth boldly on this issue, and. Uh, and and is going to be speaking more and more about it here soon. Like I told you, the reason he had me call you today was because of uh, where he was driving, not able to get to service. And and, and (laughs) we've been open about this message of the doctrine of the lesser magistrates since... uh,
0: Right. You've been open about it with me, maybe, but you're an activist. I'm not asking about you. I'm asking about an elected official who allegedly ordered 2,000 copies of this book. And he wants to remain anonymous.
2: Yeah, and that's certainly, I mean, his he, right. He doesn't have to, 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 to come out about that. But yeah... Um... And as I said, by like Dan Johnson is willing, and he's going to be speaking out more on this, and there are, there are more and more people coming out more.
0: Well, I would love to there. hear from Dan Johnson about his thoughts on the doctrine of the lesser magistrate.
2: I, 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 I'm, I'm going to uh, I'm going to end the interview now. Okay. But uh, uh, I appreciate
1: your time.
0: All right. Thank you very much.
1: All right. God bless.
0: Representative Dan Johnson has not returned my subsequent requests for an interview. But on Monday, December 11th, the Kentucky Center for Investigative Reporting and Louisville Public Radio reported that Dan Johnson, who is also a preacher, allegedly sexually abused a member of his church when she was 17. The report also alleged multiple other instances of unethical and criminal activity, and both parties have called on him to resign. Neither Joseph Spurgeon nor Dan Johnson have returned my call since the news broke. On December 13th, Johnson publicly denied the allegations, saying his accuser was politically motivated. Louisville detectives then reopened an old criminal investigation into these sexual assault allegations against Johnson. That evening, Johnson died of an apparent suicide. After this news broke, Rusty Thomas, the Operation Save America leader we introduced in the first episode, published a blog post tying Johnson's apparent suicide to Roy Moore's loss. He said, "The loss of the Senate race and the loss of this man's life is related. They both were hounded by the media, and both had a long list of accusations against them. I believe Roy Moore was innocent, and still do. As far as Dan Johnson is concerned, I did not know him as well." Now back to the story, which again was published before Dan Johnson's death. Now. We need to break down what happened with that phone call for a minute here. So I call a state representative to ask him a few questions about a bill he proposed that would criminalize abortion. And I get a call back, not from him or his office, but from Joe Spurgeon, a member of Operation Save America, the far-right fundamentalist Christian group that we met in the last episode. And just as a refresher, they're an anti-abortion group that believes strongly in male headship and ushering in a patriarchy. It's such a part of their mission that in the last episode, we heard Rusty Thomas say that having women in leadership roles was causing God to put a curse on our nation. And they also want to criminalize abortion as a capital offense eligible for the death penalty. A lot of these views may sound extreme, but their rising influence might surprise you. At the top of the last episode, we met a 19-year-old Operation Save America member, Eva Zastro, who also volunteered for Roy Moore's Senate campaign. Eva told us that if Roy Moore won the election, it wouldn't be because he lied about who he was. It would be because he was honest and the voters wanted him. And although he didn't win, he came really close. And the only reason he lost is because of multiple sexual assault and pedophilia allegations. Months ago when I started working on this story, I had no idea that elected officials were openly associating and aligning with Operation Save America, let alone that now two of the politicians who they were championing would be accused of sexual misconduct with teenagers. But here we are. So in this episode, we're going to be looking at just exactly what they believe and how they hope to reshape American politics. Anyway, so Joseph calls me, and we're talking about this self-published book by Matt Truella, a pro-militia extremist who the FBI was once investigating for his connection to a violent conspiracy. As we talked about in part one, Truella was one of the 31 signatories of a document defending the murder of an abortion provider as justifiable homicide. So his book is being passed around the state legislature, and the state representative that Spurgeon is calling me on behalf of says he has read the book and loves it. And the man he has called me back likens this book to the Declaration of Independence. Now would probably be a good time to talk about what exactly is in that book. Sophia has read it, so you don't have to. I have. As someone who's read the book, do you think constituents would want to know if one of their lawmakers was reading it and quoting from it and taking policy advice from it? I
3: do, because this is a person who has signed a very radical text, essentially advocating for the killing of abortion providers, or at least saying that it can be justified in a court of law. And Matruella is often categorized with the violent extreme fringes of the anti abortion movement. So, yeah, I think constituents would want to know if lawmakers were reading it and passing it around to their colleagues and quoting from it in public speeches. Now, Matt, on the other hand, told us that this is no big deal. This is just a small self published text. But he did confirm that someone purchased 2,000 copies of the book and passed them around the Kentucky legislature. And he also confirmed that the person wanted to remain anonymous and that he respected that. So what exactly does the book say? It's a small book, about 70 pages before the appendices. Basically, it's a defense of this idea that lawmakers and government officials must intervene when a particular law or policy is in direct violation of the Bible. And as you might guess, Torella is pretty selective about which laws should be challenged, So, like abortion, same-sex marriage. In the book, he cites examples from the Bible and from history to make his point that this idea is A, not new, and B, essential to resisting tyranny. One part that jumped out at me is when he writes about the three boxes he says America's founders established in the name of preserving liberty for its citizens. So you've got the ballot box, the jury box, and the cartridge box. The cartridge box? Yeah, I wasn't familiar with this term either, but he basically means guns. Matt Rurella is a big gun rights supporter. He lives and works in the Milwaukee area, and in 2003, he ran for the school board on an anti-public school platform. <laughs> he made local headlines for passing out posters outside local schools that said, never disarm, and he handed out a brochure shaped like a bullet that said that school shootings nationwide were God's punishment for abortion. In 1994, at a Wisconsin convention of the U.S. Taxpayers Party, Trella addressed the crowd and told them that buying their children an SKS rifle along with 500 rounds of ammunition was a loving thing to do. At the time, he added that he was teaching his own 16-month-old the location of his trigger finger. He's actually one of the first anti-abortion leaders to actively call for militias. And as we mentioned in the last episode, Matruella had a violent past before his conversion. We met Matruella this
0: fall at another one of OSA's week long events. This one is called Leaders A Time Like This Demands, and it's meant to train legislators and civil servants in the doctrines of interposition and the lesser magistrate to govern and interpret the law the way that Roy Moore did when he was twice removed from the Alabama Supreme Court. But when we meet Matt, he's pretty calm and I would say less confrontational than Rusty Thomas usually seems. He admits to us that he signed the defensive action statement that activist Paul Hill had written in defense of Michael Griffin, who had killed Dr. David Gunn back in 1993. But Matt also makes a point to tell us that he didn't sign the second offensive action statement, the one written on behalf of Paul Hill after he turned around in 1994 and murdered the doctor who replaced David Gunn, Dr. John Britton, along with his bodyguard, James Barrett. And he tells us that he regrets having signed the document in the first place because the person who drafted it later used it as a means to advocate violence,
4: which he claims not to.
0: But why did you sign it to begin with then?
4: Because the preborn are human beings, just as if a person, you know, defended, you know, like, okay, look at the guy at Virginia Tech. It was somebody who took him down. After he killed how many people? Thirty some people. Nobody questions that he was shot for doing what he did. Why? Because we all understand these are human beings. Well, the preborn child is a human being, and so if we um, say that um, it's wrong. It was wrong for Michael Griffin to do what he did. What we're saying is that the preborn child is not a human being. If the law was what it should be, it would already be a crime to murder preborn children, and what as would the it was in the be? state of Wisconsin. Oh, murder.
0: Matt also thinks that homosexuality should be criminalized, but that he wouldn't advocate for the government investigating what people do in the privacy of their own homes. What would the punishment be for homosexuality?
4: Oh, uh, whatever the magistrates decided to make it.
0: But what do you think is an appropriate
4: punishment? I'm not sure. It's not something I've sat around and pondered much of. When you look at Western I mean, civilization... I guess
0: I think you should ponder it. If you're saying that it should be illegal, you should think about what the, what the consequences are, right?
4: Right. Well, we're not anywhere near seeing that happen, so I haven't been pressed to give much time to that. <laughs> so um, if you understand what I'm saying, it's like, okay, I'll think about that later.
0: So Matt won't tell us what his ideal government looks like because he says it will likely never happen. But what if it did? State Representative Dan Johnson is not the only Kentucky politician meeting with and seeming to agree with Operation Save America. You might remember from the last episode that the group's leader, the Reverend Rusty Thomas, told his congregation that Governor Matt Bevan had read the book, loved the book, and quoted from it in major speeches. Here's
5: Rusty. Now, we did meet with him privately. Uh, We gave him the books, uh, The Doctrine of the Lesser Magistrate. He had already read it, you know. Uh, And like I said, he already had praised the book. He had quoted from it.
0: Governor Bevin's office has not returned multiple requests for an interview, so we were unable to ask him about his personal views on the book. But he was photographed with Joe Spurgeon at a meeting at the governor's mansion. When Joe posted the photo on social media, he wrote was able to meet with the governor and several representatives this afternoon and talk about abolition and the doctrine of the lesser magistrate. Of course, a photo with an elected official doesn't necessarily mean anything. Governor Bevan takes a lot of photos with a lot of people. But Governor Bevan does already seem to be employing the tactics laid out in the book and ignoring the federal government if it means ending legal abortion in Kentucky. I'm not saying that he got the idea from the doctrine of the lesser magistrate, but it seems like he would align with those views. The legal battle that his administration is fighting with EMW Women's Surgical Center, the last abortion clinic in Kentucky, involves hospital transfer agreements with the University of Louisville Hospital. Kentucky has passed a lot of regulations on abortion that have made it nearly impossible for clinics to stay open, even though the American Congress of Obstetrician and Gynecologists and other experts assert that these regulations do nothing to promote women's health. One of those regulations is that clinics must have transfer agreements with local hospitals and ambulance companies, and during a court date in September, Planned Parenthood and their lawyers presented evidence that they allege shows that Bevan interfered and threatened to withhold funding from the University of Louisville if they signed the transfer agreement. That case is still in litigation, and its outcome could determine if Kentucky becomes the only state in the country without an abortion clinic. In the last episode, Rusty warned Sophia and I that if lawmakers didn't take their message seriously and ignore the Supreme Court rulings on marriage equality and abortion, that there would be a bloody civil war.
5: We got all the pieces in place right now for literally another civil war in the United States of America. You know we're polarized as a people, right? We are seriously polarized.
0: Others, like Matt Truella and Joe Spurgeon, have blamed violent crimes on God's wrath over abortion and homosexuality. And while they personally may not be violent or advocating violence, they're full of contradictions. Sophia and I attend Leaders A Time Like This Demands, the conference in Indianapolis, and Operation Save America members show up in decent numbers, a fraction of the crowd in Louisville, but it's still a healthy turnout. But as far as we can tell, there are no lawmakers there. Still, Operation Save America spends the week trying to get their word out to legislators. Matt and Rusty hold a press conference in front of the governor's mansion where they deliver a letter to Indiana Governor Eric Holcomb telling him about the doctrine of interposition and urging him to end abortion in the state if he wants to hang on to his pro life base. But besides this, OSA is up to their usual activity. The group started stalking abortion providers at their homes and offices under Flip Benham's leadership, and they're still doing this. They have large Wanted-style posters and flyers with local abortion providers' photos on them. Under each photo, they've printed the doctor's addresses and that they murder babies. They hand the flyers out door-to-door to to the doctor's neighbors and protest outside their homes in quiet residential neighborhoods. Cal Zastro organized the protests outside the abortion providers' homes.
6: Ma'am, can we talk and pray with you? We're here because we want abortionists to stop murdering babies and turn to mercy and love and compassion and healing with his medical gifts.
0: We agreed to keep the doctor's name and any identifying information out of the piece for safety reasons. We met Cal in the last episode. He's a volunteer for Roy Moore. He supports Roy Moore. He supported Roy Moore after the sexual assault allegations came out. Cal's daughter, Eva Zastro is one of the Mother's Day rescuers. So, actually, first, can you just say who you are and your, your name and your affiliation? I'm
6: Cal Zastro, and I'm Eva's daddy. <laughs> and you're here with Operation Save America? I'm here as a volunteer with Operation Save America. We are here conducting a neighborhood awareness campaign. Um, one of the local baby murderers, um, we're here in his neighborhood. We passed out literature to some of the neighborhood, and now we're here in exposing. Um, his murders, his abortions to his neighborhood. That's what we're doing today. Um, we don't wish violence upon him or his family or anyone else, so that's not us, but we're out here peacefully to bring awareness, community awareness, to what's going on and what this abortionist does. So that's what we're doing.
0: Is part of your goal to be out here in hopes that he would stop providing abortions? Bing! If he's not going to stop on his own, would you like want him to be... Afraid
6: and I do not want him to feel afraid of us. However, the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. So I pray that he would come to know mercy from God on that, but not to... We're, we're, notice we're not here um, shouting and marching and chanting loud and, not, and pounding on doors and doing that. We're not doing that to um, just be loud that way, we are here bringing awareness and showing the pictures of what's going on. Are
0: we live right now? This video? No. Okay. What is the video being used for?
6: For my protection. Okay,
7: sure. So what's,
0: I'll just say what's happening right now yeah. is that we're here, we're interviewing Cal Zastro, and Tris is filming us right
6: now. And plus, we've got his house then in the background, so we just film everything.
0: What if he's afraid that like his address is being published? Then,
6: uh, then we, I have one word. Quit. Quit. Today. Stop murdering the babies.
0: Is, is that a threat?
6: That's not a threat at all. That could not possibly be interpreted as a threat. He may feel threatened by, I don't know what all he could be, feel threatened by. He could be threatened by whatever, I don't know on that. We are here saying if you're going to murder babies, we're going to tell the world that you're murdering babies and that's your baby murder. We're going to let people know that this is wrong and we oppose it. We're going to come to your church, we're going to come to your golf club, we're going to come to your um, fancy dinner, we're going to come to your place of work, we're going to go, and we're going to expose what's going on. We're going to expose that, and we're going to tell the world, hey, this guy's murdering babies, and we're pleading with you to stop. What this also communicates a very, very strong message is, hey, if you're a young person, and you're going to med school, and you want to moonlight on Saturdays, and rip the arms and legs off babies and make a few grand on Saturdays working at the local death pit, um, then there will be peaceful people. Hopefully there will be peaceful people that will come and confront you. Their
0: daughter Eva is also here. She's been trying to talk to neighbors, but they have not been very receptive.
7: So I was just visiting with um, abortionist neighbors, just encouraging them to pray for him and invite him to quit killing children. They were very... um Supportive of him and told me I need to go help other people here or there whatever and I was just encouraging them that God's word says to love our neighbors that we need to love these children and we need to love the abortionist and invite him to stop killing children but then they were like oh we don't want to talk so then we walked away.
0: It's tense and uncomfortable in the neighborhood today. People drive by flipping off the protesters. Some of the neighbors are gathering in small groups outside their homes to keep watch on the group. Some of the neighbors even call the police because they're scared of the protesters and they don't want them out there with these graphic images of aborted fetuses when their kids come home from school. I asked one of the protesters how he would feel if people were protesting like this outside of his home. He's not officially a member of OSA, but he's part of a local organization that he says is even more confrontational.
8: Well, I think, I think when you have a bunch of people in front of your house, um, if they're singing, that may not be as intimidating. But if we're standing there and we have megaphones, our group usually uses megaphones, and, and we have a lot of big guys in our group, um, that might be a little bit more intimidating Um,
0: Would you I guess Yes That's a great By by
8: nature I mean just by definition It seems intimidating When you wake up in the morning And there's a bunch of people (laughs) In front of your home Um, you
0: recognize That they might feel threatened
8: Well I don't know About threatened but, But they may They may feel awkward Or uncomfortable Um statistically you know christian pro-lifers committing crimes is extremely extremely low i mean um when but, you look but at it other... has
0: happened oh, it, of
8: course of course and we and, and i have personally openly rebuked that in another group that i'm affiliated with he has a radio outlet he he will say that too and and he's the guy that i became a christian through and he will say we ap- outright condemn that that's wrong um Am, am i sad that that an abortionist won't be murdering babies anymore no i'm not i can't speak for everybody in this group i'm not but it's wrong that somebody went to his church and murdered him
0: if if a if a bunch of people who are pro-choice stood outside of your house and, and with with signs and said you were intimidating doctors is that, how would you feel about that
8: uh, it probably wouldn't bother me, but I could see how that would bother other people, but it wouldn't bother me because my personality, I would I would probably go out there and get my signs out and counter protest them because it just doesn't intimidate me or scare me. Um,
0: would you mind if they had your address and they knew where your kids lived? Or?
8: Nope, not at all. Yeah, we're heavily armed. <laughs>
0: I found the group's messaging on violence to be a bit contradictory, so I asked Catherine Brightbill about it. Remember, she grew up in the movement and had been arrested a few times for protests and blockades with Operation Rescue, the group that later became Operation Save America.
7: I think that it's complicated. I think some people are truly anti violent some people it's rhetoric, other people it's kind of a wink, wink, nod, nod, we don't support violence, but we actually aren't going to complain about it, but by and large, I think that it is likely true that they don't support violence because they would interpret they would believe that it's the state's job to execute abortionists. So they would just they would they would possibly think that abortion doctors should be executed, but that it should be executed by like by the government, by the state. And that's one of the arguments that was against Paul Hill's uh, defensive action statement was that it wasn't Paul Hill's job to be doing the executing.
0: And that makes sense. The members of Operation Save America come right out and say that they believe abortion is murder and should be tried and punished as murder. Here's what Rusty had to say about it.
5: Abortion is a crime. That's how God sees it. The God that we're going to stand before to give an account, he calls it murder. Murder. That's what it is. Know, I, don't, I know we don't like to say that word. Women don't like to hear that word. You know what I mean? One of my hardest problems of trying to minister to women of post-abortive is g- to get them to say that word. It gets stuck in their throat right about here. Right about here. But every time they get it out of their mouth, set free. I mean, set free. Do you think free. those
0: women should go to jail forever?
5: I would say whatever's on the books... In any state, it applies across the board. If you're found guilty of murder in a court, whether for the preborn or the born, whatever the penalty is, it's applied. That's it. Equal that justice be, under the law. That would put a lot of, of pro life activists in jail. Well, now, I'm not talking about retroactive. I'm not talking about retroactive. You know, you gotta, you, know, you, you don't institute Which one <laughs> institute a law. Is it, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, you know, now, there's some people actually are wanting Nuremberg trials. I will tell you there is that element. Yeah. I'm not one of them. But I do I will say this. There needs to be a law that penalizes abortion as murder. And and it applies across the board.
0: Do you think there should be a legal penalty for uh, homosexuality?
5: It should it's a crime. It's not just that see there's certain sins that are sins. They're just sins. But there's certain sins in the Bible, they're not just sins, they're sins that are designated crime, and they are to be penalized by law.
0: Members of Operation Save America insists that when they protest outside clinics, they are just counseling people, offering them options and not harassing them. Here's Ante Pavkovic. He's a prominent member of Operation Save America, and he was actually in a recent Rewire documentary, Caring Chaos, that documented the anti-choice presence outside of a clinic in Charlotte, North Carolina. Ante usually stands outside that clinic, shouting loudly into a PA system so that patients can hear him through the brick walls once they're inside the building. I asked him about that on our first day in Kentucky.
8: Uh, yeah, yeah, the sound system's necessary because... If I don't have a sound system, like I'm talking to you right now, if I was trying to talk to that man across the street, what would I have to do? I'd have to lift up my voice to try to communicate with him. It would look like I'm yelling at him, badgering him. On the mic, I could say, "Man, please come out here and talk to us just like that, and yet she can hear it clearly. So the sound system is very effective so that we're not yelling at the top of our lungs uh, hoping they could hear us over there across the parking lot. So it does that. It saves your voice. You know, I mean, you cannot yell for hours and, and then... Uh, not, not pay a price down the road with, with uh, your voice. So it, it's, it's useful. We, we play music out there. We, we feel that's fitting, Amazing Grace and things like that. Songs that uh, I feel remind people about the Lord and what am I doing out here. So, yeah.
0: Here he is on their last day in Kentucky.
8: And I wish to God the federal marshals and the police would arrest you all right now and lock you up. That's where you belong in jail facing capital punishment for murder. You are a pack of murderers. Bloodthirsty savages is all you are.
0: He, his wife, and daughter were arrested in 2007 for interrupting a Hindu clergyman as he offered the traditional morning prayer on the US Senate floor. Lord
5: Jesus, forgive us, Father, for allowing the prayer of the wicked, which is an abomination in your sight. the The sergeant at arms
9: will restore order in the Senate.
5: We
9: shall have no other gods before you, you are the one... The the sergeant-at-arms will restore order in the chamber.
0: In our reporting, we found connections between Operation Save America and several lawmakers and candidates, mostly at the state and local level, and mostly with extreme conservative views, like Dan Fisher, a former Oklahoma state representative who's running to be the state's governor. He's basically running on the promise to totally abolish abortion in Oklahoma. He has very little chance of winning, but he was a state representative. And in some cases, like with State Representative Dan Johnson and others in the Kentucky State Legislature who wish to remain anonymous, these politicians are getting elected. They're sneaking religiously charged language into bills, and they're legislating legal abortion out of existence. Here's DuVern Gaines, the director of the National Clinic Access Project for the Feminist Majority Foundation, which was founded in response to growing anti-abortion extremism in the United States in 1987, one year after Operation Rescue was founded. I think there are some frightful
2: individuals who have been elected, and the public may have been duped in believing they are less extreme than they truly are. That's one explanation. Um, I also think that some of the individuals may well be, um, uh, have, they've failed to do their homework and do diligence about who they're, they're fraternizing with. Uh, and perhaps if they knew, they would be uh, a bit more reluctant. Um, but there is a, um, an extreme fringe that has gained power in this country. That's, that's a fact. And they are exercising that, um, that power right now and that muscle that we're seeing. Um, and that's, that's
7: reality.
0: The Reverend Pat Mahoney, who was once the National Media Director for Operation Rescue, tells us that the reason no mainstream politicians would align themselves with Operation Save America is because of their more extreme
1: views. Well, Sophia talked about no entree to the president and this and that. And I say, I see no evidence of that at all. It's, it'd be hard pressed for me to see any mainstream politician jumping on board, um, with the kind of verbiage and things that OSA uses, particularly today. Yeah. So, uh, certainly here in DC, I don't see that, um, I know there was a feeling, and uh, yeah, uh, actually, when Sophia, I was torturing Sophia, we were having fun, and I was giving her a really hard time. But, um, like, there is just no way, I mean, I know a lot of people who work for the Trump administration, um, who are a lot more open and balanced in many ways than the president, But, like, there is no way Operation Save America would have any entree into the White House.
0: We did ask Rusty if he had any meetings with anyone in the Trump administration, and here's what he had to say. Have you tried to meet with um, with
3: Attorney General Jeff
5: Sessions? No, no, not yet.
3: Or anyone in the Trump
5: administration? Not yet. I'm not free to say some things. (laughs)
0: Back in the last episode, Pat told us that he distanced himself from Operation Rescue, Operation Save America. But Mahoney didn't just occasionally tag along sometimes with Operation Rescue. He was their national communications director. He was very active in the summer of Mercy in Wichita, Kansas, and he's been arrested and put in jail with Rusty Thomas. So last episode when we went through the history of the group, Pat Mahoney was there for all of that until Flip Benham takes the group in a different direction. Sophia, you've known Pat Mahoney for a while now. How would you describe his views on abortion?
3: I would say that Pat is definitely anti-abortion, but he doesn't like to call it murder, and he doesn't believe that people who have abortions should face criminal charges. He also doesn't agree with many of Operation Save America's tactics, but you know, he thinks Planned Parenthood should be defunded, he supports anti-abortion legislation, And so this is kind of a funny thing. The Trump administration actually asked Pat Mahoney to be on their faith advisory board, presumably knowing that he's a prominent anti-abortion activist. But Pat told us that he didn't take the job because of the Trump administration's championing of anti-Muslim views and policies.
0: Which is interesting because the way that President Trump has talked about and legislated against Muslims kind of makes it seem as though he aligns more with Operation Save America than he does with Pat Mahoney. Also, Jay Sekulow, one of Trump's personal lawyers, built his reputation defending evangelical Christian groups, including Operation Rescue. And although most mainstream pro-life politicians and lobbyists advocate against punishment for women who have abortions, Trump said in an interview with CNN's Chris Matthews that abortion should be illegal and that women who have abortions should face some kind of punishment. And then there's Roy Moore, whose views on women and LGBTQ people were not what lost him the election.
1: But um, I don't know. I, I'm trying to think of the 435 members of Congress and the 100 U.S. senators. I don't know one of them who would jump on Operation Save America's agenda. But in terms of broader mainstream political figures, I don't, I don't see that.
0: Except if Roy Moore gets elected, I guess. Except what? If Roy Moore gets elected.
1: Well, um, here's the thing. Um, they came in support of Chief Justice Roy Moore. I think the thing is, has Chief Justice Roy Moore spoke, spoken at some of their events?
0: Yeah, they won- he, won-, he it- won an award from Operation Save America. He showed up at the well, event. Gave, got-
1: look, at, right, everybody gives awards, but the point being, um, you make a fair point.
0: Remember that the mainstream Republican Party distanced themselves from the man who's now the president And Roy Moore is a favorite of former White House Chief Strategist Steve Bannon. Also, after the sexual assault allegations, but before the election, President Trump and the Republican National Committee threw their support behind Roy Moore. So even though he didn't win, the Republican establishment made it clear that sexual assault and pedophilia allegations aren't a deal breaker for them. And guess who Roy Moore called to speak in support of him after the allegations came out and it seemed like his campaign was in trouble? Operation Save America. Here's Rusty Thomas speaking at a November 16th press conference.
3: Next up is Pastor Rusty Thomas. He is the National Director of Operation Save America. Did I say
5: it right? Pretty close. Yeah. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. A couple of days ago, uh, somebody contacted me and said uh, that I was needed to come to Birmingham, Alabama. To support Chief Justice Roy Moore. My immediate response was without hesitation. Without hesitation. My wife and I traveled here 12 hours. We left yesterday. We arrived this morning and I want to make two brief statements. One is personal. Chief, those who are gathered here right now these are not your fair weather friends. We are not sunshine patriots. Amen. We are brothers and sisters in Christ who love you and care for you and your family deeply. Amen. And you need to know, Judge, you do not stand alone. There are many around this nation who are standing with you and praying for you during this difficult time.
0: Flip Benham, Operation Save America's former leader, also spoke.
5: You are a law keeper. You always have been a law keeper. Now,
9: I got to just tell you, media, if you had to go back, if I had to go back 40 years and look, look back at my past, I would be in serious trouble. And I don't have an opportunity to face my accusers or anything like that, but just so long as they can just make the accusation, get it out there, then all of a sudden my character is completely impinged.
0: Remembering what Catherine Brightbill said about courtship in the evangelical homeschool movement in the last episode, I wondered whether their support for Roy Moore had less to do with them not believing the women and more to do with thinking that these allegations really weren't a big problem. So I asked Pat Mahoney about it.
1: I can say with 100% veracity, even though I haven't had personal talks with them um, recently in any depth over the last few years, there is no way in hell that Rusty Thomas or Flip Benham or anyone in OSA would tolerate sexual assault.
0: Well, actually, Flip Benham said in the in while standing up for Roy Moore yesterday at, at the press conference, that if you look into his past, I bet a, he bets a bunch of things that would would come up that people wouldn't be so happy about. Um,
1: I think that probably. Yeah, that was is maybe one of the least artful people I've ever seen on messaging, on stuff like that. I think he probably means spanking.
0: But a few days later, Flip Benham appeared on the Alabama radio show Matt Nanny. The hosts, Matt Murphy and Andrea Lindenberg, asked him about the press conference and the allegations against Moore, and here's what he had to say.
9: Well, I think that, uh, number one, you need to understand the the 40 years ago, what the the and Laban was like in in uh, Alabama, uh, it wasn't unusual. I mean, Judge Roy Moore, for um, graduated from West Point and then went on into the service, served in Vietnam, and then came back and was in law school. All of the ladies that, or many of the ladies that he possibly uh, could have married, were not were not available then they were already married maybe somewhere and so he looked in a different direction and always with the parents of younger ladies by the way the 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 lady that he's married to now miss kayla is a younger woman he did that because you know there's something about a purity of a young woman and there's something about something that's good that's true that's straight
0: Sophia called Rusty to ask him about the Roy Moore campaign and the sexual assault allegations.
9: Well, it, it really, you know, it's, I've been up against that spirit, Sophia, for so long. I knew exactly what it was, I knew exactly why it was sent, and I knew its stated purpose. Because I, in this battle, I can't tell you the number of times I've been accused by pro-aborts and sodomites that I'm a child molester, I'm abuser. Uh, that that is the accusation of choice so as soon as that was unleashed upon Roy Moore I knew exactly what it was and what our duty was to do and we went <laughs> it happened and uh, it stopped it and it turned the corner and now it's full speed ahead okay
3: but, but just you just bring up you just brought up an interesting point why why would pro aborts call you a child molester like because they were just baseless accusations.
9: Of course, this is because when you don't, when you don't have a leg to stand on, when you, when you're, when you're living and believing a lie, and if you don't submit to the truth, then you're still trying to gain the high moral ground. And what's more repugnant than a child molester, even the non-believer is sickened by that. And so what? what the other side attempts to do because they're standing on sinking sand and they can't deal with the message because they believe a lie is that they have to somehow gain the high moral ground and attempt to make you look like the evildoer the wicked one the one that must be stopped and this is this is spiritual warfare this is how the demonic realm operates and most people who are not saved don't know the Lord, don't know the Bible, don't know the truth. Uh, they just kind of go along to get along. Um, but if you fought this battle, especially on the Lord's side, you know the Spirit, and uh, you're, you're, you're the target of it. And um, it's something that, I, again, that I've been up against for decades now. So when it happened against Roy Moore, it was nothing new to us. We knew exactly what this was all about. And so that's why we weren't fooled by it. That's why we didn't swallow the bait. That's why we didn't play it safe. That's why we didn't back off. That's why we came to his aid. That's why we stood in the gap. And since that time, since we showed up, things have turned around.
0: Roy Moore didn't get elected, almost certainly because of the sexual assault allegations. But Eva was right. It wasn't Roy Moore's views on women or his views on the LGBTQ community that didn't get him elected. And conservative politicians know that their evangelical base is important for them to win elections. What if more people who align with Operation Save America get elected? What happens if these are the people passing laws?
5: There needs to be a law that penalizes abortion as murder.
4: Boy. You better start
5: thinking hard and fast about Judgment Day.
8: For a bunch of unrepentant fornicators who want to fornicate at will like rabbits and have no consequences. The children are the consequences. If you don't understand that killing a baby's wrong, then you're not going to understand Killing a wrong. wild Jehovah's terrorist isn't wrong. Killing a baby's wrong.
5: I I wanted to choke her. She's lashing us with her tongue, you know what I mean? Complain, complain, I mean, bitter complaints. And I needed to survive this, you know? So I figured the best way is to get rid of her and then maybe the the torment would go away.
8: I wish to God the federal marshals and the police would arrest you all right now and lock you up. That's where you belong in jail, facing capital punishment for murder.
0: In the last episode, Catherine Brightbill told us that their anti-abortion fight was just a means to an end. It was just one tactic, one more way that they can take away women's autonomy and keep them from leadership. It's easy to brush this off, to see this as a fringe group with no power that will never get their way. Only, it has been their way before, through most of history. Their way still exists in many parts of the world. We called this story Marching Toward Gilead after the fictional name of the totalitarian theocracy in Margaret Atwood's novel, The Handmaid's Tale. When Atwood was writing the book, she made a rule for herself that everything that happened in it had to have a real-world antecedent. Perhaps that's why it feels so frightening to many of its readers and why the Hulu show based on the book has struck such a chord with audiences. All of these things could happen. That may not be likely. I don't know what's likely. Many Americans never imagined that Donald Trump would win the presidency, that that was too unlikely. But what I do know is that after working on this story, I can see a clear path to power for people who hold this worldview. And I didn't really expect that going in. Even Catherine Brightbill, who was raised in the movement to hope and pray for male leaders to usher in a theocracy, didn't think their world was likely to come to pass. But now, she's not so sure. I read you say – I read something you wrote on a blog post uh, kind of addressing Flip Benham, you know, about how his how his society will never come to pass. You know, that's a dream, but that, you know, equality is winning, um, feminism is winning. Do you have concerns given what has happened in the country over the past year that extremist groups could see more legitimacy or be more legitimate or be seen as more legitimate by – the government or just in general they're getting more power
7: yeah i'm definitely concerned that blog post i wrote was when the um it looked like we were on an upswing and that that kind of christian theocracy side was losing um and right now i'm not entirely sure that that's true um Because in a lot of ways, the election of Donald Trump, and especially with Mike Pence as vice president, was what we were trained to be fighting for. That was the future that we were supposed to be ushering in. And so it definitely concerns me, it worries me that the people who are being appointed as judges now, the people who are in the pipeline um, being groomed to become judges um, are people who are being groomed in this um, theocratic way of thinking. So in a lot of ways, I think that the violence that happened within the abortion, anti-abortion movement in the 90s, I don't, th- I don't see it coming back because they don't need it to come back. They are the ones who have influence in government So I think we're at a tipping point right now where it could very easily go swing back fully into theocracy where when I wrote that blog post about Flip Benham um, after um, marriage equality in North Carolina that I didn't see that future then but I think there's a danger now. If they actually succeed in taking over, they would implement Old Testament law, including all the stoning parts. Women's role is entirely in the home, having children, um, as many children as possible, and homeschooling those children to um, train them to be the next generation. So it's very much um, like the world of The Handmaid's Tale. Actually, when I read Handmaid's Tale while I was in law school, it was like reading... I didn't realize it was science fiction, but that was the genre I was classed in because it felt like it was reading the story of the life that I was supposed to have if I had gone along with um, their vision for the world.
0: Marching Toward Gilead was produced by myself, Jen Stanley, and Sophia Resnick for Rewire Radio. Mark Filetti, executive, produced this episode. We had some reporting and recording help from Andrew Viegas, Rachel London, and Kelly Benjamin. Jody Jacobson is our editor in chief. Brady Swenson is our director of technology. Music for this episode was by Doug Helsel. Thank you to all the staff at Rewire, especially Rachel Perone, Lauren Gutierrez, and Stacey Burns, our communications and social media team, for getting the word out about Choiceless. For more on this story, including photos and links, visit our website at rewire.news choiceless. Thanks for listening.